0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
3: We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, Snacky tune. Thank you.
4: The Snacky Tunes. I am a one half your host, Darren Bresnitz, with Leah Ferrazani. I get that right? You did. The uh, owner-founder of Semolina Artisanal Pasta, and I always get this wrong with the wrong about the pasta as well. Pastaya. Pastaya. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is for people at home who don't know.
5: That's the feminine of pasta maker in Italian.
4: Always male and female there. I it's, know, I, I know. I, I never got an for it. Um, now, you know, when people think of... Delicious organic semolina pasta. Los Angeles may not be the first city that springs to mind. No way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure that uh, when you when you got started and as you've you've grown notoriety, people have been like, "I'm sorry, where did you say you were from?" Yeah. Uh, but before we get to the, the 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 building of the budding and growing uh, pasta empire in L.A., um, where are you from? Where'd you grow up?
5: Um. Kind of a split personality. I was born in New York, okay, on Long Island, and um, I lived there until I was about ten, and then my family moved to Southern California, about an hour north of Los Angeles.
4: So, okay, so you can you can claim Los Angeles, California.
5: Yeah, yeah, kind but of. you don't
4: want to well, give New well,
5: York status. Here's, well, here's the thing: is I didn't realize how California I'd become. Oh yeah, until I moved. Back to New York I
4: think that's what happens
5: And then you were like Oh man Like Okay the food is great The nightlife is great The city is awesome But I gotta tell you You people work way too hard Oh my god
4: <laughs> Well I just I, I think they work differently Yeah And I'm just like I was like Just Go into work Get your work done Go home Don't do the thing where like Go to work Hang out for an hour and a half You know It's just like Just go Just do your work
5: Totally So, I mean, I moved there. I had just finished my master's in journalism. I was, um, working first for a magazine and then, you know, as often happens, you end up in some form of restaurant life to be able to, um, fund your, fund your creative world. And I was trying to find a paying magazine job and, um, got a job managing a restaurant in Tribeca.
4: What, do you want to shout it um, out? It was
5: called Le Zanc. It's okay. sadly defunct. It was mm. um, a small bistro that was associated with David Waltuck's uh, Chanterelle. It was owned by Karen and David oh. Waltock. Oh. So I walked into that job supposed to be their, um, their brunch manager. Sure. And then the GM got fired two weeks later, and I became the AGM, like, overnight.
4: That's very New York. I mean, that, <laughs> totally that, that, that's very New York. Now, before that, you know, had you been drawn to food or did you see food as just sort of you know the uh, the outside career to support a different creative career?
5: Food had always been the outside career to support a different career. I had you know my undergraduate degree is in poetry, um, mm. my master's is in journalism, and food was something that I had always done to kind of get me where I was going. Mm-hmm. So I had been working in cafes and restaurants since I was sure. fourteen. Um, it wasn't really actually until I both my experience at Lizank and then I worked at um, at also now the sadly defunct Enoteca a little uh. bit. Uh, while once I got my real dream job, which was um, in publishing, I was an editorial assistant uh. at Harper Collins. And, um... Were you
4: writing about food?
5: Um, at the time I wasn't. I was, I mean, the the, the roster of, of writers that we worked with, the editor that I worked with, yeah. was, like, Michael Crichton. Sure. And it was just, like, complete other end of the spectrum. And his,
4: his food scenes were very much like lawyers, stakeout in car, eating fast food.
5: Yeah, well, I know. the Perfect, even better example. We also worked with Elmore Leonard. So, like... <laughs> Very much lawyers, you know, somebody staked out in a car, eating a burger, dripping with fat. Of course. But nonetheless, um, it never entered my mind to write about food. It was always the thing I was doing, but I started getting much more passionate about my food there and kind of took all of the things that I had learned in in school as an undergraduate in Sonoma County, Mm. where... All of a sudden, I really cared about where my food came from sure. because the farms were all around me and the dairies were all around me. Um, and so that started to synthesize with this much more refined sense sure. about food. And then I moved back to California.
4: Did you have uh, a watershed moment? Well, first off, what was it like working at Uniteca during like that era in, in New York City?
5: Oh, my God. So, well, I mean, I, I worked two nights a week. Oh, um, man. just to be able to pay my rent sure. because it was making what, 28 grand a year to, to oh work God. in publishing. I took a nice, fat pay cut from the restaurants. Um, <laughs> and I was like, my boss was like, you need to wear nicer clothes. I was like, you need to pay me more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and then finally I was just like, I need to go to a job to help support, you know, my, my desire to work in publishing. So I went and I, I, Talked to, to my friends who owned Inateca, and I was like, I, can I just come and wait tables a couple yeah. nights a week? And it was madness. Uh, you know, we'd work till three or four o'clock in the morning, and it was just droves and droves of people, and, like, eating amazingly good food mm-hmm. and drinking amazingly good wine until very late into the night. <laughs> it was so much fun, Did and you have a, a little bit of a bacchanal oh my god! all ends. Of
4: course. It's, it's I feel like the uh the amount of sleep you get is sort of like tied to the amount of money you make when you first move to New York like the least amount of money you make is the least amount of sleep you get, but it's also some of like the happiest you ever are
5: yeah, I mean it was definitely a really fun time it was very exhausting um and Kind of to the point where this all started was I realized that I could be the hardest worker in Slackerland and have a much better balance to sure. my life.
4: Is Slackerland, Los Angeles,
5: um, California, California, in general, California in
4: general.
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, and have a much better balance to my life, and not sure. have those conversations like "How many hours did you work this week?" as oh a point God. of pride. I know um, it's
4: like, well, anyway, we don't have enough time for that. Anyway, that's, so a, know, whole that's a whole show. other show. A whole other show on. Oh, and uh, we'll just get every ex-New Yorker who's in California went, you guys are fucking crazy.
5: Yeah, yeah. So I, I picked up steaks and I moved back to Tahoe. Nice. Um, which was where I had gone periodically to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. Sure. Um, and it was there that I made my first attempt at food writing.
4: Really? So what was your first approach? Now, and second part up to that question Did someone ask you to write about food or you're like, I'm going to be a food writer?
5: Somebody asked me to write about food. Okay. Um, I had a friend, so I was writing about science. I was writing, I was actually the, uh, editor for an online outdoor sports magazine Mm -hmm. called Mountain Zone. So I wrote about skiing and snowboarding and rock climbing and, uh, marathoning and all sorts of adventure sports. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was also working in a cafe because that didn't pay particularly well. And um, I got to be really good friends with somebody who was associated with the newspaper editor in Tahoe. And she was like, You should really write a story about, if I remember this correctly, it, the thing that she wanted me to write about was um, a little panaderia in Kings Beach.
3: Hmm.
5: And um, I had been been writing about something that she was doing at the Boys and Girls Club prior to that, and I was like, oh, that'd be really fun. And all of a sudden, it clicked.
4: It just clicked.
5: It was like, they always told you, write what you know. Sure. Well, there's nothing that I know more about than food.
4: Now, had you gotten this knowledge of food, of working in the restaurant, or had it always been there with the family, or, you know, how you grew up?
5: A combination of the two. So... I was the kid who was into food from sure. the get-go. I planned every... You know, you get you get to pick what you're going to eat for your birthday dinner. I was the one who, in seventh grade, because I had a friend who was Greek, that I wanted to go out to Greek food and, like, right. explore Spanakopita and gyros and whatever it was. And um, your friends
4: are like, we wanted pizza. Yeah,
5: like, could we pick something a little <laughs> bit more approachable, Leah?
4: So um, it's always been there.
5: It's just always kind of been there. And... Um, Very early in college, I realized that I had a passion for feeding people, Mm. even though like I never connected it to my restaurant life. I bribed the guy upstairs from us who sold Cutco knives.
3: Mm.
5: I really wanted a good knife. So I was like, how many dinners do I have to make you (laughs) to get a Cutco knife? And so like I I made it a habit. But we, we started even even early in college, we had nights where we made dinner and we would feed all of our friends. And that was those were my best times in college was when I was inviting people over. By the time I hit grad school I was throwing dinner parties for like twenty people because it was just fun.
4: So hosting, managing, talking about food, feeding people just everything comes together and you write this article and what happens?
5: Um, it was just really exciting to see in print. I mean, it was the Tahoe world or the Sierra Sun or something like that. It was something nobody would ever see outside of Tahoe. Of course. But it really made sense to me. It was the least painful thing I ever had to write. Um, and I'm sure as a content creator and a lot of other creatives can admit that, that there's there are times where, like, Putting things down on the page can be really, really difficult. Um, I think it. I now I will never remember who who said it, but I don't like have I don't like writing. I like having written, mm. um, and I've I was always that kind of writer. And so for me, I would get mired in the research and have so much fun, but not ever be able to really get much on on the page. But when I started writing about food, that became much easier because it was something that just the synapses in my brain connected on. And so I could quickly translate what I was thinking into words.
4: And all this time you're still, you're cooking on the side, you're cooking more. Are you, are you doing more food recipe testing? Are you writing in that way or are you just doing like profile pieces? How did you start making that jump to writing about food, working in food and then making food?
5: Um, I think, you know, the more I was writing about food, the more I started exploring with my cooking. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I moved from Tahoe down to Southern California, I got a job working at, uh, Moza as their number two. And
4: a little, a little little little
5: restaurant, um, kind of fell into that gig and, that really was another major shift for I mean, me. Talk to, about
4: a, a temple of pasta and Italian food. And yeah,
5: though it was the, piz- the pizzeria, so we didn't have any pasta, but just, oh, just the see, yeah, okay. seeing seeing the methodology and the, just the approach to food, um, and then I had launched a food blog
4: um, mm. called well, Spicy,
5: Salty, Sweet. Okay, and kind of you know my shtick was that I made everything from scratch because. I liked to know how things came together. And being in that culinary environment, really, it made a lot of sense. Um, and so I started making pasta from scratch at home.
4: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Yeah. We're going to take, talk about how that pasta making at home turned into the semolina, uh, can I pronounce it? semolina Artisanal Pasta Company that you have today. We have a song coming up from the archives live here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
6: The residual pain and forget how you got in The nice guys finish last away Well, that's just your problem. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you want this, or want it more. If you want this, or want it more. If you want this. I want it more than you. I want it more than you. It's fine to say this isn't a game when you've already lost it. It's pointless to go through it again, but perhaps you've forgotten. You gotta know there's nothing to gain. So why? If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you want this, I want it more. If you want this, I want it more. If you want this, I want it more than you. I want it more. Thinking everything. Just finish your drink and stop overthinking everything now. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you're the nice guy, act like the nice guy. If you want this, want it more. If you want this, I want it more If you want this, I want it more than you I want it more
4: than you I want it more than you I want it more than you Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Leah Farazani, founder, owner, pastai pastaye, pastai pastai. oh my
5: god, we'll get you, get, oh we'll get god. it by the end,
4: no, don't even, <laughs> don't call my French instructors, don't call my Spanish instructors, founder of, uh, Semolina Artisanal Pasta here in Los Angeles, so, you're working at Moza, and you started making pasta on the side, um, how did it go from hobby to going, I'm going to make a business out of this.
5: Uh, well. And it
4: doesn't have to be that, like, one-two jump.
5: Yeah, it definitely wasn't a one-two jump. Um, I left Moza and started, um, as the writer and editor for k Wine Merchants for about oh. seven and a half years. Um... How was that? That was... It was fun. I mean, I wrote about booze all day. How lot, could you complain? A lot of good wine? A lot of good wine. A lot, lot of really good wine. A lot of bad
4: wine? It's a lot of really bad wine. More bad wine, right?
5: Um, fortunately, no. Not more bad <laughs> wine. Um... I had the benefit of not having to drink that. Yeah. Um, I had to write profiles about it sometimes, but I didn't have to drink it.
4: You're like, um, you're like, no. <laughs> you're
5: like, there are not enough adjectives in the world <laughs> to describe this. Um,
4: I didn't even go to thesaurus.com. Terrible. Let me see. <laughs> so you're <laughs> there, writing for kind
5: There were some phrases, that some key phrases that we used at the, that time.
4: Um, so, but, you, so you're writing for them, but the pasta's on the side, right? Pasta's
5: on the side. Um, I'm making everything from scratch. I, anything that I can imagine, I'm making pasta from scratch, I'm making ice cream from scratch, just, like, very focused on, like, learning as much I can as I can, um, then I have my first kid. Okay. This is re- where it really all starts to come together. All that free time. Gone. Absolutely. And I'm lamenting how I used to get to make pasta from mm. scratch. And now I have to buy pasta like everybody else. And I start to try and find something that goes with my values. So I'm looking for organic. I'm looking for locally made. And I can't find it.
4: Well, there's no giant locally made packaged pasta scene in Los Angeles? There is
5: not. What, and and what year is this? This was in 2011. At okay. uh, the end of 2011 is when my son was born. So beginning of 2012 is when I'm really starting to look around. And then I get pregnant and, um, with my second. And I'm starting to feel a little less, like, psyched about about my booze writing gig. You know, and yeah. I have two kids, my metabolism changes, I can't drink. Quite way I used to, which makes writing about booze far less fun.
4: I had one sip on a Tuesday night, and (laughs) then that was it. That was it. Yeah.
5: Um, And anyway, I'm still kind of in that mode where, like, I'm I'm looking for this thing, and I can't find it. And my husband and I are talking a lot more about like what I'm going to do next with my life. And I come downstairs one day, and I um, after my. Not long after my daughter was born. And I just say, I'm going to make pasta. And my husband looks at me and he's like, that's a really good idea. And I had no idea what that actually meant.
4: Right. And so you went from, I'm going to make pasta for myself for dinner parties to I'm going to make. Did you know in that moment you're like, I'm going to make pasta and sell it and turn it into a business?
5: Yes. That, okay. I mean, that was the, like, we had been like, oh, maybe I'll be a writing consultant. Maybe I'll do PR again, blah, 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 blah. And he kept coming back and said, don't you want to do something with your hands? Don't you want to <laughs> feed people? Don't you want, like, what you're telling me you're going to do for a living doesn't really jive with everything that you say that you want to be doing with yeah. your life. So let's rethink this. And then all of a sudden, it just was, you know... Back from Whole Foods yet another time. Back from Monsieur Marcel, and I'm like, why is it all imported from Italy? Hmm. I it took one quick Google search to figure out that we actually export about half the durum wheat that we grow in the U S. to Italy, to for them to make into pasta to send back to us. Wow! Where I was just like, well, that's absurd. That's, that
4: seems it's like let me cut out some of those steps.
5: That doesn't seem so. It's not a matter of raw ingredients, which I had always assumed that they made great pasta because they had great wheat.
4: But we have it here.
5: But but it's ours.
4: It's ours. <laughs> so, so, so how long did the recipe testing take from the moment you walked down those stairs with your big cro- proclamation?
5: About eighteen months of R and D.
4: How much pasta were you eating? A lot. How much pasta were your friends eating? A lot. H- how sick of pasta were you by the end?
5: Um, never sick. Never of pasta. sick of
4: pasta. That. <laughs> correct. The, the correct. Um, but what was that process like? And so you knew. I mean, you knew you wanted to use a certain type of flour, right? So that's a huge sort of that like sort of sets the base. And you knew you wanted to be organic and you knew you wanted to have certain parameters. So did that help sort of shape your direction?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think all that ultimately made it really easy, right? I make dry pasta. It's one ingredient besides the flour. It's the water. Sure. Um, You know, I knew I didn't want to make egg pasta, at least not out of the gate. No. Um, You know, anything perishable scared the daylights out of me as far as the food business went. Um, And all the greatest... Dried pasta is made from semolina and water, and that's all, uh, that's all you need. Um, so I started doing research, and I quickly discovered that um, there are no books written in English about how to make dried pasta. Fine. Uh, so I had to uh, wrestle up those journalistic skills. Yeah, good, and thing, good
4: thing you had that.
5: Start the deep dive. And, I mean, it was, there's this guy who's a professor of uh, cereal sciences at North Dakota State University. Maybe he'll tell me something. Sure. And so emails off to him and emails off to this other guy. And I just started piecing information together. And one of the best pieces of advice I got was from, um, Emilio Mitidieri, who owns pasta biz up in San Francisco, um, who I had called to find out how much it costs to buy a pasta dryer. And he's like, you don't need a pasta dryer. You just need to build yourself a cabinet, control the humidity. And dry it in there and it was like okay okay sure sure why not
4: how are those carpentry skills
5: um my carpentry skills suck but fortunately my father-in-law um is a handyman there you go um and what we ended up doing was moving our washer and dryer out of our kitchen and into our garage and we converted my laundry room into a pasta dryer as one does we tiled the walls the ceiling the floor i had a bunch of consumer electronics totally MacGyvered together, hmm. um, a couple of incubator hygrostats, a VIX vaporizer, a space heater, and some carefully positioned box fans with a CPU unit computer fan mounted into the window for exhaust. Wow. Um, and that's how I set about like really dialing in my drying.
4: So 18 months have passed, yep. you have the product that you that you were happy with, everyone's happy with. Yeah. How do you, do at this time, were you also figuring out the branding, launching a business? Um, what was it like, you know, with no local direct competitors, was the larger pasta world supportive? Or or did they just were like, you were so far away from everyone else, it didn't really matter? I,
5: I actually don't think the larger pasta world realized I existed until Fancy Food um, two months ago. Okay where Barilla and some, someone from Barilla and some someone from Cecco came by my booth and were like, oh, you're making pasta. La, la, la. You know, it's, oh, we can tell you're using bronze rice. And it's like, yes, of course. Yes. And, and the the guy from Barilla, he's like, oh, you know, so how much are you making? I was like, well, not as much as you. Of
4: course. I mean, yeah. You know,
5: I'm pretty sure you make 10,000 pounds an hour, right? And yeah. he's like, yeah. I was like, well, I made 12,000 pounds last year. Right. And he's like... Oh, okay.
4: But, but you are making local pasta in LA. Yeah. So what is your process? Because you do actually have, so you make 12,000 pounds a year, right? But you have some certain specialty practices, the dyes you use. You just mentioned you use a bronze cutter versus versus Teflon, right? So,
5: um, so if you think of my pasta machine as a giant Play-Doh fun factory and you Mm -hmm. change the discs and that changes the shape of the pasta Mine are not made out of Teflon, which is what most big industrial pasta makers use. They're made out of um, brass or bronze. And that metal creates some really nice drag on the pasta as it comes out. And so the pasta has some texture Mm. um, on the surface, which helps it hold sauce. Mm. I dry all of the pasta very slowly and at low temperatures. My uh, my drying times are 16 to 20 hours per batch.
4: What's um, what's an industrial just to give...
5: Uh, four hours, maybe. They dry at about 185 degrees. I dry at um, 95 to 110 is my max. Mm.
4: It's um, like a nice sauna. It's, a, it's a like a nice sauna. sauna.
5: It's very much like basically the the Bay of Naples. It's what weather is like mm. in Grignano off the Bay of Naples. It's a it's a slight breeze with a, like a schvitz, and, and it just kind of slowly dries out the pasta from the core.
4: Now, you have the pasta, mm-hmm. and you're happy with everything. Yeah. No one's really giving you any guff about it. Yeah. It seems like there are people around America who are helping you Figure things out, give you a little knowledge yeah. like that. How did you launch? How did you build a brand? How did you get into stores?
5: Um, a lot of a lot of moxie. ultimately. Mm-hmm. I, I thought um, you said
4: it was only two ingredients in the pasta.
5: Just two ingredients, flour and water.
4: Where does the moxie fit oh. in?
5: <laughs> Got it. Thank you. Um He'll be here later, folks. Yeah.
4: The ten thirty show is <laughs> quite different. Um did you I mean, was it like you in a car with the pasta in your trunk?
5: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I launched. Well, so I launched the brand at Artisanal LA, mm-hmm. um, thinking that it would be a really great opportunity to go direct to the people that I was intending to have buy the pasta. And what
4: year is this? Um,
5: this is October of 2014. Okay. A uh, couple of days before that, um, Nan Kohler from Kristen Toll, which is our local flour mill here, um, asked if she could have a couple of cases of pasta so that she could sell it in her store, and I dropped off some samples to Leah Fierro at Milk Farm, which is a really yeah. great cheese shop here in Eagle Rock. And a couple hours later, she said, she calls me back. She's like, I want a case of each cut. I want to have it in the store before you launch, um, which was so exhilarating. Yeah. Because it wasn't just this, like, amorphous thing anymore. I had two retailers going into, like, my first, like, show where i got to tr- have people try it and the reception was phenomenal um i got a handful more accounts out of doing artisanal la um one of them was monsieur marcel they were Beautiful. very early adopter and um i felt like i'd arrived already because to me you know monsieur marcel farm shop milk farm they're they're arbiters of taste here in absolutely LA. um gristin toll it just so and i I moved very organically. I was a cottage food operation, so I couldn't really go very far. Um, and I could only make so much out of my, my laundry room. Um, you were still
4: producing out of your still,
5: house? Uh, still producing What's out of your house. What's
4: the legality on that? That was
5: totally legal. Yeah? It was totally legal. So I had a cottage food license. I had um, okay. their, their Class B, so I was legal to produce for wholesale, but I couldn't sell across county lines and I couldn't sell online. And they cap you at like $55,000 a year. Wow. Um, revenue.
4: And then when did you make the next jump? What w- What made you go to the next level? Because uh, so now you're not doing it out of the house anymore.
5: Right. So I moved in um, April of 2015 in advance of when I thought I would um, because an opportunity opened up. I learned about um, a facility that was about to open at the time called LA Prep, oh, which yeah. is um, kind of the first of its kind mm-hmm. in the country where it's a... Independent like independent makers in their own rooms to produce stuff, but then you share certain things like dish pit and dry storage and all the stuff for which is great. Right, so I couldn't use a one of the shared commercial kitchens because my pasta takes twenty hours to dry, and I have all the specialized equipment. Nobody's like rolling a five hundred pound pasta extruder in and out of a building every time they have to make pasta. So I needed that opportunity for the next step. And it was just very fortuitous that I was able to um, get in. Unfortunately, my plan had moved was to be to move into their like tiniest space. And about three weeks before we were supposed to move in, I was looking at my racks compared to the space that I had allotted for the dryer based on the specs that I had gotten. And, um, the, racks were bigger than the dryer space and I called the company that was importing it and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, our specs on that dryer were off by about two and a half feet.
4: Just a small thing, just
5: a small thing. So all of a sudden my like plan for this tiny little production space was not going to fit and I needed to move to a bigger kitchen and, but because I was moving in LA prep, I had that, I had a little bit of flexibility and so I was able to move into a bigger space I kickstarted a pasta dryer. Awesome! Um, raised twenty-five thousand dollars from um, some of the most amazing, supportive people I can possibly imagine. I mean, I I really went for it. I, I you know I personally messaged every single person I had ever yeah. met on Facebook, sure. LinkedIn, wherever. But then, you know, being on Kickstarter, a bunch of people who I'd never met found yeah. me and supported me. And they are the people who, to this day, will send me, like, little encouraging like, emails. Okay. Yeah. Like, hey, saw that you just landed your first Whole Foods. We're so proud of you. Like, keep up the good work. And, like, that, That to me, like, at some very hard times in the business has kept me going.
4: I mean, I, I can only imagine. So... Now that you're up and running, you're in a large space, yeah. fancy food shows. What what's now? What's next? What's the plan?
5: Yeah, so um, we're kind of at another big turning point yeah. for the business. Um, I am in 21 Whole Foods locations. Amazing. Um, so are
4: you able to cross state yeah, lines yet? I'm able
5: to cross state lines. Okay, that's I have true. I have retailers all over the country, but. You know, our goal really is to be um, a great regional brand to start. I think that, you know, I need to serve my community before I start sending my pasta everywhere on, um, on the continental U.S. and, and then some. Um, and so I, I'm really focused on Southern California right now. Um, I had a meeting last week with Gelson's. Mm. Fingers crossed. Fingers um, crossed. We, we had a meeting a few weeks ago with Bristol Farms. So we're working on trying to do that and just make it accessible. Um, we're picking up uh, Jimbo's down in San Diego. Oh, awesome. Um, so we're going to be available a lot more places and, and hopefully be in a lot more kitchens.
4: Awesome. Soon. And one last question. Sure. What are the types of pasta you make?
5: Uh, we make six shapes right now. We make uh, Conquillier and conquilier Pastina, which are two, se- two different sizes of shell. Um, we make strozzopretti, which is a little twisty shape, rigatoni, penne rigate, and uh, fusilli.
4: And what's your favorite?
5: Oh, the strozzopretti. Oh.
4: Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Um, if people want to get your pasta, if they want to buy it online, because now it can be shipped anywhere. Yes. Anywhere in the world?
5: Anywhere in the world, sure. Yeah, why not?
4: Sure. Send it, you know, send it to Italy, not in wheat form, in final form. Exactly. Um, where can they go?
5: Semolinapasta.com.
4: Do you have an Instagram?
5: I do semolina artisanal pasta.
4: Was some, was the other one taken? Um,
5: mm. just semolina.
4: Yeah, semolina pasta. Um, maybe. You
5: know, I don't. I don't even remember if I tried.
4: Hmm. Um, um how's, how's your Instagram game?
5: My Instagram game is pretty good. You know, I I I am balancing two kids in a nascent business. Sure. So so, three, um, kids. so, so we, three kids. So we so we don't post. Three times a day. That's fine. Um, Some people shouldn't. But I make sure that when I post something, it's meaningful.
4: Awesome. Well, the pause is meaningful. Ellie appreciates it. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. We have another song coming up from the archives of Snacky Tunes. And the live performance next here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
7: I wish everyone so kind. If of all they have is nothing much at all, you were all I knew. So now I dream of you from far away, baby hard to forget my name My heart's dead anyway I fill the walls up deep inside my mind And I'm keeping the world out as long as I'm alive go from here and how
1: Hi, I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes. Feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs. And try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org.
4: All right. All right, here we go. I mean, every time I think that we've had a band that is squeezed in here, yeah. someone, <laughs> someone comes someone in and come steps in, and they fit in. Uh, we are... I mean, let's just go through the gear in the room. We got an amp. We got a ton yeah. of amps outside. Three amps. Three amps. Congas. Congas. Floortoms. Four Two toms. floor toms. toms. Two floor toms. Drum pad. Vibe. Vibe, own okay. oh, mixer, Some other vibes. Bass God, is. bass, a, a, a close guy. sound guy. I kind of like that you described your um, drum machine as vibes, with uh, his vibes right there. Yeah, uh, was a was litany of pedals. Yeah, yeah, we got
8: a lot of pedals in here. I don't see
4: uh, uh, them. They're, they're, they're there. Um, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Uh, our first fall guest. Although it's still kind of summerish outside. Uh, who are you guys?
8: Uh, the name of the band is Sin Cane. Um Brooklyn band. I'm here with Mikey Freedom Heart ish, the man of steel Aaron, and uh Jay Tram.
4: So why don't you give uh our listeners a little background on where you guys come from, how you came together?
8: Uh I started I started the band a while ago. Oh introduce yourself too. Oh excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm Ahmed Ahmed Gallup and I I write the music for the group and I I started the band almost seven years ago I was living in Ohio I'm originally from Sudan and um, uh, I put out two records and kind of uh, got picked up by, by a bunch of different bands to tour so I kind of put the, the group in the back burner but then I moved to New York and I decided I wanted to move on forward with this project so I revamped it I met J Tram when we were playing in Ye together and th- through you know living in New York, I met Mikey Freedom Heart here, and he brought along the rest of the crew, Ish and Aaron Steele.
4: So, uh, when you pick up a, a group after, you know, you have two records and you go on tour with a bunch of them and come back, you know, what did you learn and bring into this time around that was different from the first time out?
8: Oh, man. Well, I, I, had, I had, like, the blessing of touring the world and, and really kind of see a bunch of people do the right thing, and a bunch of people do the wrong thing. So, I mean, it it really puts a lot into perspective. I I know what I'm getting myself into now. When before I was like 23 year old kid, didn't know anything. I was just kind of making music all willy nilly, and now now it, it, it's giving me a lot of focus. You know,
4: no no names, <coughs> but examples of one person doing the right thing and one person doing the wrong thing. You can choose which is first. Yeah, choose whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, well, but no names. We don't call people out. Mr X. and Well, yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs>
8: i i mean i've I've worked with a lot of really like super super organized people who just uh are very honest and straight up i mean that's one big thing i've i've learned is to be straight up and honest and if you're not straight up and honest then it, it creates a lot of anxiety and tension and that's just i mean i guess that's all I can really say i mean the Come. right the right the right thing is to be honest the wrong thing is to drink too much
4: he's yeah. <laughs> talking to me <laughs> Do <laughs> <laughs> it was together, with Mikey Freedom yeah. uh, But so now that you're back in Britain, so how how long has this incarnation been together?
8: Not even a year. I mean, Mikey and I and J Tram, we started playing together in what, like de- December or it was January? After
4: the, the only snow that happened last year, so it was
8: either it's in, in January.
4: Or... No, oh, it was oh, the before. last weekend in October. Oh, yeah, oh the so 28th.
8: Yeah, we we start, It started a little like slow. I was touring with uh, Eleanor Friedberger at the time. And uh, so I didn't really, I didn't really have as much time as I do now. And then we had another ba- we had a, a a few bass players that we played with, but Ish came through in uh, in May, and we've been playing with him. And then just for this, because we want to do something special, we brought Aaron along. But
4: yeah, why don't we why don't we get a tune? You guys need like what ten seconds of noise and then start it. Yeah. How do you guys feel?
3: I think we're gonna see.
4: Jack, how do we sound out there? Can I get a thumbs up? Okay. Alright, so let's get uh, just uh for the room, and then we can start. Alright. I'm gonna
3: start over. I fucked up. <laughs> Two, that was
6: a test. Three.
8: of a-
4: guys are going to do us a big disservice because now everyone's going to want to bring all this gear in because yeah. it sounds so good so I, go make or go home. it's yeah. uh it's one guy an acoustic guitar yeah he's really he's got a lot of effects that vibes pad is really putting that out is. a lot of vibes um, oh, we even used it yet. oh really oh oh okay um that is that is amazing that's a really amazing sound yeah, yeah. um i mean we're kind of live mixing in here it sounds awesome guys so now the band's together new record. Right?
8: Yeah, uh Yeah, the record's coming out next month, October 23rd on on DFA.
4: Oh, okay. So how did that come about? Or what um, was the recording process since you guys have only been together for less than a year?
8: Well, I played drums on it, but these and, and
5: other people came in Yeah. Random
8: things. I, I recorded it pretty much by myself. Uh I did like maybe like 85% of the record myself and then in the in the process of recording um Because I played so much with J-Tram, I just kind of, like, had him come in and and, uh, redo pretty much all the drums. And Ira from Yaysayer came and he recorded a little bit on, like, he redid some bass. And my friend George, Twin Shadow, he ripped a pretty gnarly guitar solo on the record. Oh, you know,
4: uh, Special Guest Shred. Yeah. You know, it's interesting interesting to say that because I was listening to the opening track we played. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's such a Yaysayer vibe to this. Um, but like in, in your own way, but the opening is just like very strong, Jay yep. esque type yeah. of thing in all the, in all the best ways possible.
8: I just tried, I, I just kind of figured that's what was going to happen. So I just, <laughs> I was like, jeeper creeper decided <laughs> uh, I Ira rep, I replace on that song. Yeah.
4: Actually. Which is the best way that you can have a Jay sounding song is by having the dude from Jay <laughs> play <Yeah. laughs> that kind of squashes all type of, uh,
8: yeah. All, you know, I just kind of, you know, call a spade a spade, I guess.
4: No, it's good. And so then how did the DFA thing uh, come around? Um, shout out to John.
8: Yeah, actually, yeah. I think John might be listening. And shout John, out to Chris. John and Chris. Uh, hey, guys.
7: What
4: hey up, guys? Um, hey guys. They, uh, were, John was formed I geeked out on, grew up listening to DFA records, geeked out on John when he came on the show. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah.
8: He's, he's, a, he's a lord. He's a true lord. <laughs> um, well, what happened All was we. Well, I, I, released, I released Jeeper Creeper and Runnin' on my own and just kind of the whole runnin' thing. Uh, kind of, it it did a lot better than I expected, and just randomly in April, I got an email from him, and he was really interested in the track, and he said he wanted to hear some more music, so I sent him the record, and he really liked it, and it just kind of, you know, one thing led to
4: another. It's pretty cool. I mean, is it really just that easy? No, it's <laughs> it,
8: it's it's really not that easy. But this
4: guy works uh, crazy. I like, mean like I mean yeah. let, I mean seeing we like to I mean one of the things we like to show on kids like it that it is. I mean you can play it off of, like that easy but it yeah. wasn't that easy.
8: Well, I mean the thing is the record the record's been done for almost 2 years, you right. know? And I've gone through like many many different ups and downs with it and it's finally now just starting to like see the light of day. You know, I'm just uh, I've heard the music so much and
4: mm-hmm.
8: playing it live is Really, kind of giving it new light, but it—it's been done for a long time.
4: I mean, what you know for musicians who've been at it, but maybe been toiling a little bit of the unknown, and now having being able to come on DFA, it's like, can you like share one of, like your lowest of lows, and like to the point that you actually got through it and got to the other side? Oh, oh how long do we have? Uh, <laughs> we, we got a couple minutes for that answer.
8: <laughs> the lowest of lows, man. Well, I—I um, I recorded. Oh, man, I I uh, uh, when we stopped playing with Yessire, it was kind of uh, j Trim and I. We we had like a year off before we re- we started everything, and I didn't really have anything in the pipeline at all. And the record was was finished, and it seemed like there was some interest, but nothing really happened at all. And I had like a few rehearsals with a bunch of people that didn't really work out, and I didn't really know at all what I was doing I didn't know like if anything was going to happen Ryan here my my roommate like has always been like pretty encouraging and ex- like excited about everything I've been doing but uh see, I, don't, I don't know man like it's when you're when you're around to a lot of like really creative and talented people that are succeeding so well and your project doesn't seem to be succeeding on that level it just it's a, you sensationalize all your feelings and you think like i had, like you know 80 cents in my bank account and living in new york and you know, was in a really crappy relationship with somebody, and you know. So you're saying roommates all changed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: roommates, bandmates, got you yeah. through it.
8: Yeah, yeah. These are like my my. This is like my family. You know, these everyone here has really been super encouraging and exciting.
4: I mean, I th- I mean, I feel like it's important to share those stories mm-hmm. alongside the yeah, I got the record deal that's coming out next month, yeah. just to kind of give a little hope to all the people who are writing good music and toiling alone that like. Everyone yeah. feels those lows. Like there's not a single person that has not felt that epic, epic, yeah. soul-crushing low.
8: I was I I once lost the Yaysayer band computer on tour and thought I was going to get fired. And
4: <laughs> it was after you said J-Tram's pants on fire. <laughs> yeah. How did a, How I did you lose
8: it? That a is that, I said j Tramp's pants on fire. I lost the band computer you, and I was.
4: There's a, long, there's a longer story to that. Which is, we don't have to yeah, we don't have. Was, know, was that, what that part of the <laughs> uh, drink too much? Device? That wasn't drink too much. That was. D-
8: that, that, uh, another. Uh, why don't why don't why don't, why don't,
4: Just don't and, and we'll leave it at that? All right, let's let's don't let's, do drugs. Yeah, don't do drugs. Let's rip another song. How about that? Okay, what are we got? What are we gonna hear?
8: We're gonna hear "Running," okay. the song we played a little bit earlier. Great.
4: Featuring Bucks. <laughs>
3: I don't mean to let you down Gotta keep on running till my body's all but broken down. Gotta keep on running, running. Ah.
4: So many vibes. Mm-hmm. Can we get one of those uh, applause sounds, please, from the room? Just that one. I, I, couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't hear the vibes. That was part of the problem. Yeah, the, vi- <laughs> the vibes can be felt all around. Uh, that was amazing. Some New Year's vibes. Um, so you have some upcoming shows, right? You just got done with the residency at Zebulon.
8: Yeah. How yeah. was
4: uh? I love that place. And actually, your vibes fit v- quite well in Zebulon. It
8: was. It was a vibe. It was definitely. <laughs> That was, I mean, that's definitely what it was. They we sell the best. each time we say that word. Oh right? uh, that? Yeah. There's shout one out, more Z. Shout out to Caveman. <laughs> I,
4: I enjoy their potato yeah. chips they serve at Zebulon's. They have certainly good bagged potato chips. Really? Yeah,
8: their yeah. potato chips are great. Right? right? Yeah. every week. The mozzarella, sand, the mozzarella. Yeah, and, like, they actually bohemian.
4: have surprisingly, secretly good bar food. Oh, yeah, they do. Really? Yeah. It's a bunch of French guys, right, that own it? Yeah, yeah,
8: they're, they're,
4: they're French bohemian. French <laughs> Yeah, they're it's definitely you say french rohemium I just think like carafe of wine in hand at all times Yeah, I think Zebulun is definitely a place of older Brooklyn (laughs) yeah like it's a it's a movie thing jazz DJ cafe yeah older Brooklyn yeah older Brooklyn like five ten years ago we live (laughs) not (laughs) older older like shootout druggy Brooklyn no yeah I mean we live right down the street from there and it's always a scene don't blow up our spot I mean our so, spot our spot's getting blown up by a wrecking ball in three months anyway, yeah. so that's <laughs> yeah. the new Brooklyn. Yeah, that's, yeah, a new that's Brooklyn. the that's that new Brooklyn. That's that new that's that new new i new about. So uh where are you uh where you coming you're playing a couple of shows in September, right?
8: Yeah, we're playing with we're playing Music Hall of Williamsburg on, on Sunday the twenty third with Lee Scratch Perry, which we're all really about. No big no big deal. No no big deal. Yeah. We're <laughs> playing at uh, Death by Audio on the twenty seventh with Sonara Ra and we're playing the DeKalb market, uh, they're having a big blowout party at the end of the month on the thirtieth. So Who's
4: playing the Decal Market Party?
8: Man, you know, I, I don't know.
4: Okay, that's, that's a, a good place. Yeah, that place is... It's like this but It's also Shipp- shipping containers. It's awesome. yeah. Have you been out there?
8: Yeah, we go... That's I mean, Mike, Mikey lives right next to us, so we always grab coffee, and there's, there's this really awesome place that makes these, like, chicken biscuits. chicken biscuit yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. Are just <laughs> good. Can you please, el- please elaborate? Yeah.
4: Please elaborate. Like, is it the biscuit and the chicken in there, or, like, what makes it so...
8: Chicken biscuit, coleslaw. The buttermilk yeah. biscuit with chicken gravy biscuit and fried chicken in the middle. Mm-hmm. So coleslaw. You guys cook a lot. You
4: guys, you guys got your places to eat on the road.
8: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot. Uh, bills yeah, in uh, in Brighton, in yeah. Brighton, England is one of the
4: bills. shout out to
8: Sheets. Big up, uh, <laughs> uh, up the bills. Yeah, what's bills? Bills, bills like, is like a, it's like a really awesome like uh, market, like a uh, farm market place it's like or everything is organic and everything is and really, he's always changing big lofty yeah. spot you know uh, they, mm. they you can go in there you, you go in there and it kind of looks like um just like a, a mark like a a farmer's market um but yeah, they with like, with a lot of tables everything is just really fresh and delicious I and mean, when you go on tours, that's the that's the one thing that kind of blows your mind because you're eating like Mustard packets and
4: Coors Light <laughs> all, mm. all day. So oh, it's a shot of yeah, uh, mustard in right. the Coors Light, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Like a lime uh-huh. with a uh, ketchup chaser. Awesome. Really uh, so let's get all the nuts and bolts. Where can people find you? Where can people get your music? Website, Friendster, uh, Lipstick, <laughs> and Cigarettes, Profile. You always make Friendster. that joke, and it always works. <laughs> it's, it's a new, hey, it's a, new, it's a new band every week, and they haven't heard the other shows. <laughs> um, <laughs> Check out Sin- our podcasts. Yeah.
8: Syncane.com. S I N K A N E, you know, Sinkane Twitter, Sinkane Raw on Facebook. Um, what else?
4: Well, and then uh, DFA, DFA. Records, Yeah. When is it? When's the release date? October 23rd. Can you pre-order?
8: Man, this should be coming up pretty soon, Chris. That's a good question.
4: Yeah. I know he's listening. Well, how, about we, say, about, it. how about, about we say? How about we say that if to... uh, they email Chris, I'll put them on the pre pre-order. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he'll, then you'll uh,
8: really enjoy that too. Release party, dance party. October 23rd, uh, we're playing a show at the Brooklyn
4: Bowl. Oh, perfect. So. Fried chicken?
8: Oh, yeah. Um so much fried chicken.
4: Uh, hey, here here's here's my question to you. What is your process of eating when you play Brooklyn Bowl? Are you a before show eater or do you do you got to wait till after?
8: Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I really like the fried chicken and I got to do that afterwards or else. i are clearly divided uh, on this. I'm kind
4: of <laughs> like a wingman during the set type of thing just you know, in between. Yeah, I like. I, I if I. Greasy fingers. Yeah. I get, I get a dozen. I get, you know, six on table one, six, six on table two. But yeah, that's it's so tempting because you're there for so long and you know you want to dig in, but that's.
8: Yeah. I mean, it is. That's the reward. It is a very good place to eat. Three more
4: songs till chicken wings. Yeah. Two more songs till chicken <laughs> wings. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. <laughs> one on more right. song to a boozy milkshake, right? I can
8: only. Uh, I, yeah. Well, I, can, I can't do that one. That's the ender. If that's I, it? If I have that, then it's. it's that's it's the that's on the way
4: out margarine in one hand boozy uh, milkshake anyway alright one more song <laughs> yeah, then we're out, yeah, then, we're then, out. O- then we're off to Jersey off to Jersey to good, the man. aunt's house for Rosh Hashanah thank you guys for all coming in That's here soft, okay. this all was right. totally worth all the effort thanks uh, for wh- us. Yeah, what's the last song called? it's called Young Trouble this is
8: a new joint
4: oh and uh, hold on sorry one big shout out tomorrow night up at Dinosaur Barbecue Marcus Sanderson and a whole bunch of Harlem chefs are doing an incredible 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 food event check it out it's gonna be awesome yeah. All right. All right. I'll jack it up a little bit.